So today we're finishing up our, uh, well, we have one more to go. Um, this is the last psalm before, uh, the, the last psalm in the Psalm of Ascent. Uh, a, a group of songs of pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem to celebrate uh, God. And so today we're in uh, Psalm 126. Um, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, go ahead and turn in now. My name is uh, Thomas Anderson, if you don't know who I am. I am I've been here for uh, a couple of years, and I've had the privilege and joy of, of serving here, uh, and I'm grateful to serve you today. Uh, let's go ahead and read Psalm 126 together. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Psalm 126. Have you ever lost something so precious that it resulted in deep sorrow, uncontrollable Weeping became normal. No appetite, no desire to be social, and it just didn't seem like it would ever change. Then over time, what was lost was restored. What once seemed like an impossible dream has come true. Tears have turned to laughter, sadness to incredible joy. We come alive again. For some, it could, be, it could be that you've lost your only means to financially take care of yourself or your family with no uh, possibilities in sight. And maybe it was your marriage, continuous hurt turned to separation or even divorce, and God restored your relationship in, in such a way that left witnesses in yourself beyond belief of what God had just done. The answer to that question for me can be found in the first two years of our marriage with my wife. It was incredibly difficult. And my immaturity was tearing it apart. But God did something amazing. He brought godly people, men and women, into our life to help us see our sin. And by God's grace, I was able to repent, and God forgave me, and he restored me. And it was because of that that we experienced joy that we never thought would be possible again in our marriage. And so I believe that's what tonight's psalm is intended to do for us which is to remind us that Jesus turns sorrow to joy. 
And by the end of our time together, my prayer is that we can faithfully endure the trials of this world, believing that one day the joy that we have in Christ will forever be fixed in our hearts. And so I think we can see this most clearly if we look at Psalm 126 in two scenes. And the first scene is a joyful reflection, and then the second scene is a joyful expectation. Let's look at the first one, joyful reflection. Psalm 126, verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. And so it's believed that this restorative act that the psalmist is reflecting on is the exiles coming out of Babylonian captivity, and they're blown away at the fact that they are now free, and they can worship God in their own land with a newly rebuilt temple. So to appreciate this, you have to remember what led up to their captivity. And so the people of God were living in continuous rebellion and sin and idolatry. They were worshiping false gods and they forgot God's commandments. And so as a punishment, God allowed Babylon to siege their cities and over 10,000 people were forced into Babylonian captivity. Everything that demonstrated that God was with them was either removed or destroyed. Their land, the temple, more importantly, God's covenant relationship with them seemed to be taken or destroyed with very little hope that things would ever change. So with that in mind, you can understand the disbelief and disbelief and joy that these pilgrims are experiencing as they arrive in Jerusalem. Their reaction is described as those who dream. They cannot believe their eyes. A land that was once a symbol of faithlessness and death is now once again filled with life and hope. The Lord restores the fortunes of Zion by radically changing their circumstances and returning them back to their land. And this left them dumbfounded. Their previous state was so disastrous and beyond their ability to change it themselves that it required divine intervention. You see, the enemy was so overpowering and and they were so small and, and so weak to change it. They needed God to intervene. And he answered and he turned them away from impending doom to new life. And this is exactly what God has been doing since the fall, right? You guys remember the fall where Adam and Eve sinned? And as a result of their rebellion, they were removed from the garden, the land that God gave them. They were removed from the fellowship that they had with God. And as a result, all of their descendants were cursed and born into this world with a rebellious nature against God. And the only thing we could hope for or, 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 or dream about was death and judgment. Hmm. But God, our creator, who is just and merciful, showed compassion on us sinners. And he sent his son to earth to f- as fully God and fully man and to do the thing that we could not do. He sent his son on earth to live 
the perfect sinless life and to die the death that we deserve. And then because he was fully God and fully man, he resurrected. And this is, this is the beautiful part about it. In his resurrection, he sets captives free. In his resurrection, those who believe, those who have faith in Christ, are set free from sin and death. And now they have new life in Christ. So what makes this so special is that when you, when you restore a piece of furniture, I don't know if anybody here is addicted to HDTV. I'm not going to point out any names. Uh, when you restore a piece of furniture or when you restore a car or a priceless work of art, at the end of it, what do you have? You have the restored car, you have the restored art, you have the restored furniture. And that is the prize. That is the fortune. But for those who are in Christ, it's so much more. It's so much more beautiful because we don't just get... Uh, uh, a, a, a new clothes, a new nature. We don't just get uh, uh, adopted into the family. We don't just get soon a new creation and, a, and a, new, a, new, a new earth and a new heaven. We get the restorer himself. He is the prize. He is our fortune. For that, we can, we can with joy say he has restored us to him because he is our prize. So I, I love verse 2. Uh, this is how you know God is at work and has done something amazing. It's usually followed by unspeakable joy and worship and public witness and testimony. And so you see the first one, unspeakable joy and worship in verse 2. Uh, then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. So what God did was so kind and so undeserved that there were no words that could express how they were feeling. They could only laugh and uh, with, with shouts of great joy. It was, it was a celebration. Their tears had been turned to laughter. What seemed like hopelessness had been turned to great hope. And so what makes this more incredible is that God had already promised this. He had already promised that this would be the outcome. So in Jeremiah 30, 18 through 19, it says, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will restore the fortunes of the tents of Jacob and have compassion on his dwellings. The city shall be rebuilt on its mound and the palace shall stand where it used to be. Out of them shall come songs of thanksgiving and the voices of those who celebrate. And then again, and later on in the next chapter, in verse 7, he says, For thus says the Lord, sing aloud with gladness for Jacob, and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. And among them, the, the blind and the lame and the pregnant woman and she who is in labor together a great company, they shall return here. God had already promised it. This is just God keeping his promise, doing what he always does. God is holy and God is just, but he's also present and he's compassionate and he keeps his promises. 
So whenever the Holy Spirit gives us eyes to see God at work, we should celebrate. We should shout or sing for joy. Joy for the Christian is just simply these spontaneous emotions where the Holy Spirit allows us to see God at work. That's why David says, all I want to do is just hang out in God's house and gaze at his beauty. Because that's where joy is. That's where God is, to be able to gaze at his beauty. So what, what happens now is these uh, spontaneous moments, a burst of joy. So when God does that for us, we need to make a big deal. Us, our conservative, introverted selves as Delray Baptist Church, we need to make a great noise. Because of, because of who he is. Because we get Jesus and we don't deserve it. For that alone, we get to jump out of our comfort zone just for a second and praise him. So the second one is, so first, whenever God is at work, we see shouts of joy, uh, but also we see public witness and testimony to God's greatness. Psalm 1, second half of verse 2 and then 3, then, then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. So the community reports that God's act of restoration proved so decisive that even the nations recognized the supremacy of Israel's God. What God did was both amazing and public. This was not a secret, quiet display of kindness, but a public act that had nationwide implications, and even outsiders were stunned. And these are probably the same people in Psalm 42 that were once shouting, where is your God? And these same people are now looking and saying, oh, there he is. He does great things. And then God's community then testifies and says, yeah, he does. He has done great things, and we are glad. And it never fails. When God acts on behalf of his people and blesses them, the response should always be unspeakable joy. So that first part is uh, we see the first scene we see uh, the people ref joyfully reflecting on the work of God. And the second part is a drastic change. And we see this joyful expectation where the psalmist immediately shifts uh, from reflection to a prayer. He ref first reflecting on God's kindness. He now uh, prayerfully uh, hopes that God will continue to act on their behalf. The reason why is in, in spite of um, this, this, what, this great act that God has done, you can imagine after 70 plus years returning back to your land. And so although they get to rejoice and, and shout and be amazed at what God has done because they don't deserve it, things aren't what it used to be. The land has, 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 has not been taken care of. Full restoration has not happened yet. And so although they've come out of slavery, they've returned to a land that has been unkept, and they're still under foreign power. And so as a result, the community pleads this in verse 4. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams and then again. And so essentially what they're asking is, God, do it again. 
They can ask with confidence because God is with them and they have seen God act in extraordinary ways before. They are simply asking God to continue the work that he started, the work that only he could do. And he says, do it. Do it like, do it like the streams of the Negev. And so the Negev was a desert land in the southern region of Israel. It's hot. It's a hot place. And it's especially miserable in the summer months. But there was these brief moments throughout the year where you would get these uh, heavy rains that would provide moments of relief. And even when the rains went away, it's still because of the, the landscape, it would still leave these pools of water throughout the desert. And so they're saying just like these moments where the rains miraculously uh, bring life to a dry land, the psalmist and the community, they're currently experiencing this dryness for, for a number of reasons. You can imagine not just dryness in the land because it's not yielding the way it should, but dryness spiritually because things aren't the way they fully used to be. And so he's like, man, overwhelm us with this spontaneous of act of kindness like the, like the streams in the Negev. Give us a, a moment of relief in this fruitless season. He's asking God to make his presence known and, and once again uh, by overwhelming them with sudden bursts of kindness. And then he gives them an, an, another, gives us another example of how he would like to see God act. And he says in verse 5 through 6, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. So during this time, natural resources were slim. And in order to gain, you actually had to lose. And so it wasn't just going to the supermarket with a basket and filling it up. Your biggest commodity, your greatest asset during this time was seeds. And you had to put all of those seeds in the ground in hope that it would yield fruit. And if it didn't, it had huge implications for your family and for your financial future. Your family could go hungry if it didn't pay off. But unlike the uncertainty of the land producing fruits and vegetables, God's people can pray with full assurance, knowing that their weeping will turn to joy because God has and always will be a faithful God. It's out of that assurance the community can labor together through long seasons of difficulty and weeping, not hoping that their work will somehow change God's mind, but their work is a response of faith in the work God has done and will continue to do on their behalf. And so with a little bit of time I have left, there's three things I want us to walk away with. First, to the person who is experiencing deep sorrow, then to us as members of Delray Baptist Church, and then to the outsider looking in. So for those who are currently experiencing deep sorrow, even tonight, many of us are experiencing 
um, yeah, deep pain and spiritual dryness. And it has left us wanting and needing God to intervene and pleading for God to do it again. Well, if that's you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you're experiencing pain right now. And although it is very true that there will one day come a time where there will be no more pain, and we're going to read that passage in a second, I want you to know that we serve the God of comfort. And he's not just the God of comfort later. He is the God of comfort today. And I want you to know that you are not alone. I pray that you would lean into someone here, that you would confide in someone here the pain that you're experiencing. I want you to know that although that person may say something silly or something wrong, may not have the best words, but you are loved and that you are not alone and you cannot do it alone. Two, with that in mind, to us as a church, as Delray Baptist, this is what we're here for. This is what we signed up for. Literally, we, in our covenant, this is what we signed up for. That we would weep with those who weep, that we, would, that we would rejoice with those who rejoice, and that we would bear one another's burdens. That is, that is the covenant that we signed. So if you look in the first two verses, he uses, he uses community language, like we and us and I. This is a community experience. This is not something that we do alone. And so we rally together, we care for one another, and we show off the glory of Christ and how we love one another to the, to the world. And then finally, I don't know if you noticed this, but in this passage, he kind of tips his hat to the person who is outside of the camp community looking in. And those are the unbelievers. So if you are an unbeliever here, and what that simply means is that you have not submitted to, Lord, to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If that is you, it is not too late. We desire for you to be a part of our community. This is not an exclusive club in the sense that uh, um, we are not hoping to invite more people into it. Matter of fact, that's, that's our duty. That's what we spent the first half of this conversation doing was sending people out to share the gospel to the nations because we want more people in before Jesus comes. Isaiah 1.18 says, Come, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though you, your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Christ can save a wretch like me. He can save you. So I beg you to talk to someone today about what it means to become a part of God's covenant community. One day Jesus will return for his people and we will forever be restored to our glorified bodies 
and taken into a new land. Revelations 21, 3 through 5 promises it. We can bet on it because that's what God has been doing since the beginning of time is keeping his promises. And it says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. and They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is, seat, who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That was your moment. Soon we're going home, just like the psalmist said in verse 6. He says, Bearing the seed for sowing shall come home with shouts of joy. Jesus, come quick. In Jesus' name we pray. Father, thank you. We remember what we were like before Jesus opened our eyes. Even the youngest of us who were saved at an early age know that we were sinners and there was nothing we can do about it. And yet, you put together one of the greatest or the greatest rescue mission of all time. Because of your son, Jesus, we have hope. And because of your son, Jesus, weeping will only last for the night. But joy will come in the morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.